Welcome to Monkey Off My Backlog, the podcast where we exercise our pop culture demons by tackling our media to-do lists one week at a time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me, my co-hosts, Tessa. Hello. And Dr. Sam. Hello. This week, I have no regrets as I trip through this entire trippy, trippy movie and force my fellow co-hosts to watch vaporwave films but not really vaporwave films we'll get to that in a second sam watches a film starring keanu reeves that is all caps real art and tessa finds out that bisexual lighting will only get you so far all right so while we took the keanu route this week you took the nick cage route with your vaporware experience so experience so this is mandy a film that is just nick cage doing crazy things for two hours which is his want uh you you know that is so close to to describe what mandy is about it is not a film version adaptation of the barry manilow song mandy Mm. that's a real shame somebody ought to do that Nick Cage ought to do that. So, yes, um this I'm I've often heard Nick Cage's 2021 film Pig referred to as John Wick with a pig. See, I've heard it referred to as the anti-John Wick with a pig. Okay. Well, this is John Wick with LSD. <laughs> This uh, and by by John Wick, the the shorthand for that is a uh, revenge story. Nick Cage gets into a little, um, not it's not even like his fault or anything. He did uh, a cult, just sees his wife one day, and the cult leader who uh, is a failed musician, and is in the eighties, and there's a very specific cult is based on. Was just like, hey, I want that woman. Then they summon uh, biker Cenobite hybrids, and they these biker Cenobite hybrids go get Nick Cage's wife or girlfriend, and uh, after she rejects the cult leader, they uh, the cult leader kills her in front of Nick Cage, and Nick Cage goes on a uh, revenge rampage where he is literally just being crazy for uh an hour um before that though we get the fantastic line from nick cage delivered so earnestly which is knock knock okay it's a knock knock joke so someone should say who's there ahoy hoy (laughs) who's there eric estrada Eric Estrada, who? Eric Estrada from Chips. Are we still doing this joke? That is the end of the joke. (laughs) (laughs) So earnestly. So what I'm hearing here is anything's a joke if Nick Cage says it, unless it's not. I mean, I mean, it's a knock knock joke. He he laughs like it's a joke. Uh, Mandy laughs like it's a joke. I don't get it. Maybe only writer Panos Cosmatos uh, gets it. Because, uh, wow. Wow. This, this this movie is a, it's a trip. And yes, it is. At one point after the, uh, the, the death of Mandy, Nick Cage is in a bathroom with no pants on, but wearing a shirt with a tiger on it, uh, drinking... Basically, an entire vo- bottle of vodka and screaming while sitting on, on on a toilet. And like every time he takes in a deep breath, the camera zooms in on him a little bit. So, most people in March 2020. No, I think March 2020, we still had faith that uh, things would work out. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say that it's a Winnie the Pooh thing now that Winnie the Pooh's <laughs> in public domain, except one. The Winnie the Pooh with a shirt is still copyright Disney. And two, this was before the beginning of this year. 
but it does sound very much like Winnie the Pooh public domain fan fiction about the time that he got super depressed and trashed because you told me he had Tigger on his shirt. Right? Yes. It's a dude with no pants with a tiger on his shirt. That is Winnie the Pooh. And um anyway. And and like that's a major theme of this actually is that a lot of these scenes when when Nick Cage goes on his very 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 violent um revenge rampage uh it is it it is almost like someone took some kind of hallucinogenic drug which they they bring up that there's a super potent version of LSD but they took that drug and they thought they were reenacting different movies. And what we see is the non-LSD version of that. So when he goes to confront these Cenobite biker hybrids, we find out that they are very human, but very uh, messed up. And it looks like a, the like in Nick Cage's mind, he's fighting these monsters but in reality he's fighting some some lame bikers in bdsm latex gear uh there's also a lightsaber battle that's with chainsaws it's this movie is bizarre i just want to go back to uh did you say bdsm latex fight is that yes what yes uh okay so this is this this is a really good time to ask is this vaporwave? Because I hear uh, latex BDSM fight, and it could really go one of two ways. Okay. See, all these um, vaporwave movie lists include a lot of them include Mandy. Tell me they're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. I know that they're wrong. They're, yep, they're, they're wrong. They're, they're very wrong. And what this what this actually is is a live action version of heavy metal. The uh, animated movie slash um what was it it was a it was a magazine yeah yeah there was a period on vh1 when they were not quite completely divorced from music yet and they were playing movies all the time like rock movies they played heavy metal i think like once a day yeah so there's even some animated clips of uh of uh, Nick Cage just kind of seeing Mandy, and she's usually doing something very heavy metal esque, like uh, nursing a monster back to life or or something. She's also naked, and it's very much in the style of uh, heavy metal. So this is really just a live action heavy metal, which is a shame. It is not vaporwave. All right, but okay, fine. Explain to me what we're going. Explain to me what was, what were going through people's minds when they called it Vaporwave. Like, you, you mentioned the heavy metal thing, but, like, what do? Okay. So, first of all, key one of Vaporwave is it takes place in the 80s. Key two, it has a lot of purple lighting in it. Key three, there's synth in the soundtrack. Done. P- lazy people can just write it off as Vaporwave and... uh call it a day and it does some of the vaporwave aesthetics but it is much more focused on um uh just not hard rock but like glam rock i guess would be or whatever heavy metal did it's not quite it's it's not quite you know heavy metal as we know it today but it's synthy have you seen peacemaker yet no i have not Okay, I I think kind of what you're describing is on the fringe of what, uh, what Chris would like. Is Chris Steve Agee's character? John Cena's character. He is oh. Peacemaker. His name is Chris Smith. I can't recommend that show enough. I'm as surprised as you are. I mean, I I'm not surprised. Uh, James Gunn, like that's all I needed to hear. Yeah, it's surprisingly comforting while being like extremely filthy and violent yeah this isn't comforting while still being extremely (laughs) filthy and violent mandy is just bizarre that's the only way to describe it uh i my head canon has this in the nick cage uh as a being a prequel to willie's wonderland just want to say that the opening credits to peacemaker are both bizarre and as vaporwave as this movie is (laughs) 
apparently. Wow. Is it any good? If it's not vaporware, fine. Ooh. Is it any good? Okay, this is this is a wave. recurring vapor, topic. Vaporware refers to software, Sam. I, I said wave. No, you, said, you wear. said wear, and I didn't know it was software, so I was going to make a joke about like Tupperware, like it's a type no. of like bisexual okay, Tupperware. Listen. All right, fine. Listen, if we're gonna just okay, you said it twice now. Yeah. All right, yeah. fine. Yep, twice. Then okay. Well, if we're just gonna make fun of me for saying vaporware, I'm gonna point out Neil Gaiman's Neverwear. Is this Vaporwave? No, it's not. It's close. Uh, it also focuses a little bit too much on the uh, red side of the spectrum for it to really be Vaporwave, but we're about to talk about what Vaporwave you is. You hear that, Taylor Swift? You'll never be Vaporwave. That's right. Too red. Really quick before we move into what I am sure will be an amazing lecture on what Vaporwave is, do you recommend this movie to anyone? Um, If anyone liked heavy metal and they just want to see nick cage lose his mind um and you don't mind very long shots of just silence with just a little synth slowed down just going almost atonally across the board as nick cage looks at a guy with a tiger and the guy is on lsd and he has um just incredibly dilated pupils and and is having a conversation with Nick Cage, except Nick Cage isn't saying anything. He's saying nothing. The guy's like, "You're, you're, you're, you're right. They, they wronged you, man. You've got a cosmic darkness exuding from you. Like that's this movie, and then a lot of violence. Uh, a lot of the violence is actually kind of implied and low budget, so it works. Um, there's also a grainy film filter, so anyone who really likes the 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 feeling that they're watching a uh, an old VHS tape. Hey, go for it, Mandy. I don't really ever want to watch it again. And now the question on everyone's mind: What is vaporwave? And me, I am going to tell you what vaporwave well, wait, is. Wait, real, real fast. Can you tell me what vaporware is? Vaporware is um, software that was announced, maybe demos came out, uh, maybe some trials came out, but never uh, actually fully coalesced. Thus, it is gone, like vapor. And, you know, for something that is so completely different, it's only off by one letter. So go ahead, tell us about Vaporwave. Uh, Vaporwave is an aesthetic. It is a musical movement. If you want to talk about the Wikipedia definition of vaporwave, which I know we all do. I know all of us are trying to type in vaporwave right now, accidentally typing in something else. Do you think somebody does uh, a podcast where they just read Wikipedia pages? Because if not, it's called, I have an it's, idea for it's, a podcast. It's called Baby Geniuses. It's really popular and maximum fun. Anyway... <laughs> Sam's trying to steal very popular uh, <laughs> podcast ideas. Oh, just wait until we have a three or four person panel who talk about a piece of pop culture every week. That's a real ripoff. Okay, seriously though, Vaporwave is a microgenre of electronic music and its focus is basically on taking 80s music, slowing it down quite a bit, chopping it up and rearranging it to make new weird kind of music and it came in kind of uh in the early 2010s and that is just the idea the the basic idea of where vaporwave started um you said it you said vaporware you're right i did because but i'm going to own it and not argue like somebody did neil gaiman's neverwhere also a bbc miniseries based on his book Never, never wear what? Like, never wear trousers? Never wear a hat? Joke. <laughs> Tessa, you're the expert. I've actually read this book. Good times. Okay, okay. So, seriously, though, uh, let's let's talk about how Vaporwave has kind of evolved. Okay, because 
because it comes from this internet culture, it of course has a few levels of irony to it because anything that comes up from the internet has to have irony. Um, Post eighties, I think every kind of culture has irony in it a little bit. Really sincerity is not something a generation, any generation before X really cares for. I think. I think you mean, I think you mean after X. Oh, uh, yes. Right. Any generation after X. Uh, how does the Gen Xer feel about that? Uh, I'm I'm waiting my turn. Okay. You you go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So, vaporwave though is basically this this thing. It it's a repurposing basically other art from a certain time period. And that time period is late '80s, early '90s. It is nihilistic and angsty, but somehow also a little comforting. It embraces the idea. Uh, or it could be seen as embracing that that's one of the things about things that are uh ironic in general is maybe it maybe it's it's just irony and it's all a, a big joke maybe it's not um vaporwave is hard to pin down and one of the scholars of vaporwave uh, I'm going to just read from his article and this is uh a article by Adam Harper and it just sums it up as this. Is it a critique of capitalism or a capitulation to it? Both and neither. These musicians can be read as sarcastic anti-capitalists, revealing the lies and slippages of modern technoculture and its representation, or as its willing facilitator shivering with delight upon each new wave of delicious sound. The idea here is that we don't know. It's a repurposing of art, and that art aesthetic is very based in um early techno it's the it's the discarded products of the 80s and 90s that we have forgotten being repurposed and reused for art what that comes out to is a lot of blue and purple and um just synthy soundtracks from the 80s uh it's it's very very interesting it's both dreaming, dreamy and depressing and full of dread. It's just all about what we've forgotten and discarded as far as art goes. You can really see this in imagining where the mall from Stranger Things is now. Uh, in fact, there's an entire YouTube series called the Dead Mall series that has a vaporwave soundtrack on it that goes through and just discusses, you know, how how we've kind of moved on from everything. Everything is dead. All these great big buildings that we built where people went together. Well, the internet became that. And now the internet is something new. Uh, it's, it's basically the millennial desire to express hopelessness via an aesthetic and via music. And it is both just, it's, it's something that if I want something, uh, musically I, I i will sometimes put it on i will just kind of let it overtake me and uh it's 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 rough um and for those of you who don't know accelerationism is the idea that uh we can't actually fight late stage capitalism we can't fight the hell world that it's going to become so we might as well push it to its climax faster we might as well embrace the consumerism embrace everything because the only way well in some views the only way to be done with this is to just push it to its own collapse uh in other views it's like uh just the irony of like hey you know what fine i'm going to buy this shirt with the brand on it and embrace being the brand um it's almost like an offshoot of cyberpunk where cyberpunk is more uh openly dystopic typically vaporwave is more grounded and just subtly dystopic done end of lecture uh, all right so uh, i disagree with everything you said and here's why mm -hmm. i don't think that's the definition of vaporwave at all mm. for the folks who we're doing most of what is now been morphed into or is called vaporwave. You mentioned that uh, you mentioned that Generation X is the last 
generation that is not overtly, overtly ironic about everything, and that's true. You know, the, gen- uh, the, the, the rap on Generation X is that we are ironic. We are so ironic that we are completely clear, full-eyed, genuine about everything we do and say. And so, and, and I, I, did a quick, I did a quick Google on, on this Adam Harper character, and, and then the main critique is over-intellectualization. And, mm. and that's what I see happening here. I mean, Vaporwave is Blade Runner in the Vangelis soundtrack. That is, that, is, that is Ridley Scott, that is Philip Dick, who were not of my generation. It's William Gibson, for better or for worse. It's, it's people making music at this, uh, during this time, and then there's, a, there's an evolution. There's an evolution um, which can bring us all the way to like new releases in pop music. You know, the, it, sometimes I, I, I see explanations like this about Vaporwave because Vaporwave is so much easier to find in music than it is in film. And I think mm-hmm. all three of our films establish this. This is one of the things that happens when people try to de-intellectualize pop music and say there's nothing to it. You say things like, oh, this is a high art thing that happened about this, this, and this. It's like, no, people who are making pop music have done this for years. You just dismissed it because it sounds catchy. I have, I have backup. I'm ready. I just, you know. Okay, because I, I would love to point to you to the, uh, to the people who have been known to make Vaporwave, like James Ferrero and Ramona Xavier and a few of the others, you know, and a few of their views on this. Well, it's also interesting. I actually, I heard both your definitions and I heard the thread in common between them, which is this is a evolution of cyberpunk because you both said that. You, you said it specifically, Andy. And mm-hmm. then Sam, you said Dick and Gibson and Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing about it is, is that when you take cyberpunk and filter it through a, a generational filter, you come out with two completely different results. You know, it's that, it's that use of irony. And so what, what happens a lot of times is you have two groups of people defining the same thing differently, and both people think that they came at it genuinely and that their definitions are accurate, which is, of course, either True. the main benefit or main downside of postmodernism, depending on how you feel is that in truth, it's not that either definition is wrong, it's that they're both correct. And the only thing that's wrong is believing that there's only one definition of this, uh, you know, art form that is hard to pin down mm-hmm. purposefully. Side note, when are we getting to metamodernism? Like, like when are we going beyond postmodernism would, and post-postmodernism? And when are we going to embrace metamodernism, the next step? Well, we've been doing metamodernism for a while. No, no, no. Metamodernism is just the word for what's beyond post-post-postmodernism. Yes, and we've been doing it for a while. Postmodernism's been gone for a while. Uh, a lot of folks try to peg it at 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's as good a place of it. It's as good as place of any because what 9-11 does is says that you can have your reality filtered through your prism all you want, but somebody got mad at this country and flew planes into it. And that's a fact. That is an objective thing that you cannot turn into a postmodern truth. And so that kind of stepping outside of postmodernism is one of the first big acts of metamodernism, which is a stupid name, by the way. Postmodernism is a stupid name. When your philosophical movement can't do anything but slap a prefix on the previous one. Anyway, uh, I do want to uh, warn everyone that one of the offshoots of Vaporwave is called Fashwave. That makes sense. I mean, that makes sense because if you go back to a lot of the synth pop of the 80s, it is very, um, you think Devo's kind of like parodying it, you know, how, how, how fascist it is. But you have a lot of, like German synth pop and stuff like that that has those those like kind of uh, like yeah you know what I I don't want to say that cuz it's not true but it's like that kind of military march rhythm to it but it's synthy so that's yeah it's it's very compatible there yeah 
Uh, it's also known as Trump Wave. Ugh, gross. Let's not. Let's talk about something completely different. Okay. Um, let's, let's talk about something good. So okay, I when we were doing this episode, I just happened to read a review of the weekend's new album Dawn FM from Vulture, and they mentioned Vaporwave. And I, we've all listened to it. I think we all have a very positive take on the album. Uh, but you can definitely hear some um, vaporwave throughout. Uh, I would single out the song Out of Time. Mm. I think that's a very easy one to go to. But a lot of that radio patter is very reminiscent of uh, like that kind of Blade Runner aesthetic. And it's, it's, a, it's a nexus of something else, of somebody else who's doing the same kind of art. It reminded me, it was, it was different then, but it reminded me of what Janelle Monet does. And, and I think talking about how that's a little bit different can, can help explain what this is. Yeah. So here's Tessa. <laughs> I mean, I specifically thought when I was listening to this album of Janelle Monet's Electric Lady, which is one of her best albums, but that particular album does something very similar where there are these tracks that are basically break-ins of this radio talk show. And this, this person is talking about, uh, this person, the person who's hosting the show, the DJ, is basically running us through uh, the character of Cindy Mayweather, who is Janelle Monet, who is an android. It's this persona that she came up with as far back as uh, Metropolis EP. And... It, but for that, I feel like what Monet is doing is more futuristic. It's more, it's not cyberpunk, but it's its more Afrofuturism in that sense, because she's creating a story based on this talk show that fits in with her songs, fits, fits in with this persona that she's making. It's not really a callback to the 80s or 90s aesthetic at all. It's its kind of a different tradition that she's going with. So I would say that's more sci-fi, like classic sci-fi, than it is Vaporwave. Yeah, and so one of the things that you get into when you start talking about this kind of music or Vaporwave in this way is who gets to do it? Who is able to make Vaporwave? Because if you, when you think about it as the kind of aesthetic that starts off with Blade Runner, it's very white male because, you know, William Gibson and folks tried really hard to make it that, despite what they would say differently, <clears throat> Neon Demon. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, you know, this early Vaporwave stuff in the 80s is especially obsessed with uh, Eastern Asia. Like yes. Japan uh, and, and and Tokyo after dark, and so that's that's also kind of a fetishization. Uh, we talk about with Johnny Mnemonic here in a minute. Is this is this a celebration of Asia or is it a white co opting of it? And so you get into all of these things. And so here is the weekend taking this genre for a ride, and he's been doing it for a while. Um, after hours is full of vaporwave. Uh, Blinding Lights, the song that has been at number or was at number one for most of the pandemic seasons one and two. Don't uh, worry, it's, it's being renewed right now. Yeah. Well, you can see, yeah, unfortunately, it's getting that early season three and four pickup. Oh, gross. <laughs> um, it's it, Lindelof. It, 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 the, the, the pandemic is working working out that um, deal that Cuse and Lindelof worked out with ABC. We're going to get three more seasons, but they're going to be shorter and they're going to be uninterrupted. I hate myself for that joke. Anyway, um, <laughs> the weekend Super Bowl performance where he's stuck in that like red neon. I mean, that's vaporwave. I'm trying to remember if his performance from Uncut Gems has a vaporwave feel to it just that uh, scene where he's performing oh uh it, it kind of does but really yeah. i think uncut gems is kind of a vaporwave that's what i th it's more vaporwave than the movies we watched i think Not um mine. Mine is definitely well yeah i guess that well yeah, yeah. it's good vaporwave but uh <laughs> uh just 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 real quick about your uh statement about like the obsession with with japan um I I think I think the uh, vaporwave's obsession with Japanese imagery and like even using like uh, katakana 
over over its stuff. I I think that's that that early 2010s ironic racism and then like just the uh, embrace of like the uh, 80s fear of techno uh you, you know of the Japanese supremacy in the technological market uh it's a weird weird thing it the more i talk about it the more i do tie it to blade runner right well i mean cuz that's where it all comes back to i mean it's yeah. not like ridley scott's the first person to do this or anything but, you know, you talk about that 2010s fetishization. So, you know, here's the thing. Go back one more album from The weekend and go back to Starboy, which is 2016. He does two songs, Starboy and I Feel It Coming, with French synth pop vaporwave personified duo Daft Punk. Uh, you know, you talk about Daft Punk. We were just talking about Tron Legacy, the soundtrack. You know, Tron is an early example of Vaporwave as well, and that's time period-wise similar to where Blade Runner comes from. I would move you past Daft Punk and go French pop with Air. Um, I think a lot of the things on Moon Safari, but especially Talkie Walkie, is Vaporwave. And one of the tracks on Talkie Walkie is Alone in Kyoto, which Sofia Coppola who we claim generationally um, from Lost in Translation, she does that fetishization of uh, Shinjuku at night. Um, And then on that soundtrack, that soundtrack is a Vaporwave greatest hits, except we weren't calling it Vaporwave. It's Shoegaze. One of the reasons I have a problem with Vaporwave being called something new is essentially half of the Shoegaze genre is Vaporwave already. Um, you've got, you can listen to, you can listen to a lot of shoegaze. I don't, uh, but my bloody Valentine, which is the brainchild essentially of Kevin Shields, who does a lot of songs for the lost in translation soundtrack. Um, when you go from, uh, when you, when you start talking about vaporwave in the form of shoegaze, you get to dream pop really easily, which is, uh, you see a lot of vaporwave in bands like beach house explosions in the sky. Um, and and dream pop gets co-opted by alt rock in the '90s, so you have like Mazzy Star, anything that Hope Sandoval's done, um, and then in the mid '90s you get that infusion of hip hop, and you end up with trip hop. Uh, Portishead really isn't vaporwave, but some of the music that Morchiba makes, you could call vaporwave. And then to just complete the circle, the ultimate co-option, the ultimate ultimate millennial co-option. Of all of this is Lana Del Rey, who guest stars with The Weeknd on the Starboy album. So there you go. The circle is complete. That's, to me, that's what Vaporwave more is. It's it's this thing. It's like I had a really hard time trying to understand what the hell we were doing for this episode. And as soon as I understood it, I was like, oh, it's this that we've had forever. That was it was such a weird thing. We millennials like, will call it what we want to old old well and, oldie. And, and you should. And you should, right? I mean, because that's that is supposed to be the good part of modernism is that the new generation gets to define these things in a new way. It's really the baby boomers who have stuck us in this narrative of we won't give over anything. You can pry it out of our cold dead hands. We don't care. Just let us listen to our stuff and be happy. Man. Vaporwave. Jazz hands. Letting you listen to your stuff and being happy <laughs> is where we got this. <laughs> this entire mess is your generation's fault. Are we good on this segment? Can we Yeah, let's go. Let's continue. All right. Continue. I just want to make sure if anyone else had anything to say about Vaporwave. Do you have anything to say about no, Vaporwave? No, I don't. I barely understand <laughs> it. I, I really enjoyed hearing you both talk about what Vaporwave is because, yeah, I think that there's a lot of movie lists that say that they're Vaporwave that are perhaps incorrect based on both of your definitions. So this will be really interesting. Yeah. All right. Let's go on, though, to something that I think people classically think of as Vaporwave. So you Again, did Vaporwave started in the 2010s. Whatever. So Sam, you based on a list online <laughs> that said this was Vaporwave, <laughs> which we now know to be somewhat inaccurate. Maybe that's the point of this episode. 
You watch Johnny Mnemonic. Is this a classic Keanu Reeves movie that everyone should see? So first yes. of all, the last the last thing that I should have mentioned about Vaporwave is we were obsessed with neon in the 80s. That's that's another thing. Like yeah. everything like the coolest thing you could possibly have was neon. And so it's whoa, weird whoa, that whoa, Johnny whoa, whoa. And so whoa, it's whoa. weird that Johnny Mnemonic doesn't ha- let me do my transition. It's <coughs> And so it's weird that Johnny Mnemonic doesn't have much. But Neon Genesis Evangelion came out in 1998. And we all know that that was the genesis of Neon. Sure. So how could you have been obsessed with Neon in the 80s? I, well. Boom! I, okay. Millennial. So, <laughs> I don't care. Gen X'd. Go vote for Reagan. Now I'm going to go write a concept about it. I'll be right back. <laughs> Which you guys will co-opt American Idiot. Uh, so, no. It's not a classic Keanu Reeves movie that everyone should see. Go see Speed instead. Go see Point Break. See the Shakespeare one. He did. Which Is it Much Ado or Twelfth Night? I can never remember. Much Ado. He acts almost better in that movie, and it's classically bad. What about Dracula? You just yeah, listed you, could do that. you just listed two cop movies. I will say there are no oh. cops in this movie. Uh, yeah, that's because organized crime has taken over. <laughs> Tessa. On that note, what is it about? All right, guys. So, what what you need to know is that Johnny Mnemonic is a 1995 film directed directed by Robert Longo. And if you've never heard that person's name before, why would you have? But what's going to be important here in a minute is he's made videos for New Order, Megadeth, and R.E.M. The screenplay, although he does not admit it, was written by the man, the myth, the probable narcissist, William Gibson. I don't know him. I don't know. Um, So this movie is based on a short story that William Gibson wrote. He wrote the screenplay. He claims that the movie was butchered so badly that that wasn't his screenplay. This is another case of movies that were messed with, much like Blade Runner itself, because people just can't understand artist visions, Neon Demon. And so we are making art here, people. Tessa, what does my note say right there? Your note says, we're making art here, people, in all caps. <laughs> so, in the future, last year, corporations <laughs> run the world. The Yakuza are their unofficial enforcers. Does this sound like every cyberpunk thing you've ever heard of? Well, I mean, that's for two reasons. One, because it is, or two, because William Gibson is the daddy of most of them. Unfortunately. This virtual society has resulted in two things. One, nerve attenuation syndrome, or NAS, which is too much electronics makes your head go wonky. And B, mnemonic couriers who transmit sensitive data because we came up with mnemonic couriers, but not the internet. So... An anonymous interest implants 32 gigs of information into Johnny Mnemonic's brain to be taken to, this is true, the free city of Newark. Wait, 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 wait. Newark? New Jersey! I actually took a picture of this because there is literally a shot of this movie that's just like Newark on fire. And then it says underneath it in subtitles, the free city of Newark. I took a picture of that screenshot and sent it to my friend who lived in New- who lives in New Jersey. And she was like, yeah, I've been to Newark. That makes sense. So, yeah. Also, live can free I just or ask Newark. you? <laughs> live free or Newark. Actually, Sam, I have to ask you, why are they called Mnemonic Carriers? And why is his last name Mnemonic? Did he take the last name of his job? So, first of all, all I can do is think about Fred Armisen yelling New Jersey on Weekend Update. Secondly, as you all know, mnemonic is a device, 
And so uh, it, mnemonic devices are like ways of remembering things. And so I guess he named himself mnemonic so he would remember that he was a mnemonic courier. Hmm. There is a plot-based reason, like nominally, and I won't spoil it. It's kind of the character's entire motivation. What I will say is that our friend Keanu, Johnny Mnemonic, is 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 supported in this film by the following: a hit woman who is infected with Nas, played by Dina Meyer, the leader of the anti-establishment low techs, played by Ice T. A doctor named Spider, played by Henry Rollins. A cybernetic street preacher, played by He-Man slash Ivan Drago himself, Dolph Lundgren. And just for a hint of class, a hint of cachet, Pharmacom CEO is played by Bito Takashi. Tessa's fading me out manually. (laughs) This is a small budget art film, people. We're making art. People. I really feel like somebody at the studio was like, bring me Blade Runner, but we only have this much money. Like, that's, that's kind of how I felt while watching this film. But you said a lot of things that sound like maybe they should be good. Is it good? Uh, they, they are not. Good. Okay, but what about the vaporwave stuff? Talk vaporwave. So, at the end of the film, they enter the Matrix. And yeah, if you want to see like the original pass at the Matrix, watch this. Basically, Keanu takes another shot at it four years later and gets it right with the Wachowskis. He enters the Matrix briefly at the end, and there is all of your vaporwave lighting. And it lasts for, I don't know, somewhere between 30 to 90 seconds. That's it. The end. That's it. That's all the vaporwave. Eh, They try to make a, a vaguely Blade Runner soundtrack. Some bleeps and bloops and wee. That's it. I have to say, I do not like William Gibson's cyberpunk. I can under I understand that people love him, that he's the father of cyberpunk, that he's a really great novelist, but I find him to be very white and very straight and very male in his imaginings of the future, and this movie was really no different. Although there is a great scene, Keanu is not acting well in this movie either, but there is a really great scene where he just like loses his mind about room service, which is possibly the best part of the scene or best part of the movie, I should say. Sam, do you recommend this to anyone? Did you actually enjoy it, even though it was a bad movie? You're under oath, (laughs) Sam. The room service thing is so Generation X, it kills me. Because I felt that in my core. All I want is to be able to afford to stay in a decent hotel and get room service. Not only have I not been able to do any of that for two years because of this stupid pandemic, wear your masks, people, for God's sake, and mine. Before that, we were too poor to really do it anyway. Some of us were just getting to the point where we weren't poor and we could have our dream of room service in a moderately priced hotel. No, this movie's not any good, but I mean, I've spent worse hour and a half watching movies that were supposed to be interesting but weren't. This one was interesting, but not good. Do you also want the $10,000 hooker? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like the the start shirt from the hotel laundry. I could take it or leave it. (laughs) That's it. I'm done. I'm not going to talk about Vaporwave anymore. Uh, Well, considering... She's done. She's done with Vaporwave. Say goodbye to Sam. (laughs) Andy. Bye, everybody. Okay, bye. Bye. (laughs) Disappear. Much like all the other Vaporwave stuff. It's nothing but art, and it's gone, and it doesn't matter anyway. Look at that. No, I'm like vaporware. (laughs) I was neverware. The the, the demo never never hit? Yep. Which seems like a great... Now that you say that, it seems like a great example of vaporwave. (laughs) (laughs) 
We've <laughs> we've lost the thread. Out. We've lost the thread. I we I'm broke just, Andy. I'm I'm just I'm just astounded here. Tessa, what did you do? You did the Neon Demon. <laughs> So of all these films, I feel like I actually did the most vaporwave of all of you because the bisexual lighting, as I'm going to call it, is throughout this entire movie. Like that, that is the key basis of why that is the key part of this movie's aesthetic. But I did The Neon Demon, which is a 2016 psychological horror film directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Is that how you say his name? Refn? I don't know. R-E-F-N. The dude who did Drive. Yeah, he is the dude who did Drive and Only God Forgives. Only God Forgives. Neither of which I've seen, but I've heard good things about. People either love them or they hate them. Just like this movie. This movie is such a divisive movie. When they originally screened it at a film festival, like 50% of the people cheered and the other 50% booed. We'll get to that here in a moment. It stars Carl Glusman. I'm sorry. It stars Elle Fanning, Car- Carl Glusman, Jenna Malone, Bella Heathcote, Abby Lee, Desmond Harrington, Christina Hendricks, and Keanu no one Reeves. Else. Yes. By the no way, I feel lied to. People were like, Christina Hendricks and Keanu Reeves are so good in this movie. They're in like, Christina Hendricks is like in one scene and Keanu Reeves is like in three scenes playing against type. So they're not good. Is that is that what you're saying? They don't have enough screen time to be good or bad. What are you talking about? You can be good with three scenes. They're not good, but I don't know if it has anything to do with them, actually. Anyway, what is The Neon Demon about? The Neon Demon is about a young, barely 16-year-old girl, Jessie, played by Elle Fanning, who is beautiful, new to LA, looking to break into the model scene. We've heard this this setup before. She charms her way into a modeling contract and two highly sought after gigs, as well as into fren- frenemy ships with makeup artists, models, and photographers. But all of them want something from her. And Jessie finds that the landscape of LA is much more terrifying for a young girl than she first imagined. I hated this movie. This was the worst movie I've seen in a long time. I don't know what you're thinking. Didn't you just watch Johnny Mnemonic with Sam? Yes. But you know what? I enjoyed that movie. This movie was not enjoyable or good. Wow. Wow. Okay. Okay. That is, that is, that is fun here. Um, what, what about the aesthetic, Tessa? You, you mentioned it's the most vaporwave. Or vaporwave. Yes. Yeah, so now that I've heard your definition, like I'm thinking about like all the other ways in which it's vaporwave. Like I said, the what I'm going to call bisexual lighting is profoundly through this entire movie. Everything is lit in p- lit. Everything is lit in pink, blue, purple, all of that. The soundtrack was also done, and I didn't know this before right before I started recording this. The soundtrack was done by Cliff Martinez, who those of you might know as the person who scored Solaris, Contagion. He scored Drive and Only God Forgives as well. Sex, Lies, and Videotape. So he's done a lot of these, these like 90s types of soundtracks as well. He's also notable as being the drummer on the first Red Hot Chili Peppers album, True Story. So mm. there you so go. He, so he was in a band with uh, with other famous Keanu Reeves uh, film star Flea. Sure. <laughs> Flea was in Point Break. I see. He, so this music has a lot of what I would call, and Sam, correct me on this because you watched it as well. This movie has a lot of what you were talking about in terms of that like heavier synths, those like more 90s and 80s evocative like club beats to it. Does that seem right, Sam? Am I describing that correctly? Sure, very Blade Runner. Yeah, very, very Blade Runner. So here's my problem. I'm going to talk about how bad this movie is, but this actually, I was thinking about how this movie, the movie's aesthetic and how it's related to why I think this movie is bad. Bisexual lighting makes anything look good in it. Like, if you want to light something in pink, purple, blue type of aesthetics, your movie's probably going to look good. Whatever's on the screen is probably going to look very, very good. The problem is that doesn't necessarily make a good movie and it can't cover up your bad filmmaking. 
Why why is the filmmaking bad? All right. <clears throat> we stretch out here. Get ready to go. I very rarely, as you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast, I very rarely hate this much on things that I've watched for this podcast, even if I don't like them very much. I can appreciate that someone else might like them. I hated this movie. So Refin actually branded his name on this movie below the title. So this was an Amazon release. And so like, I'm telling you within three frames, we got his name, then the movie title. Underneath it was a brand of his initials. And then right after that shot, there was a directed by Nicholas Winding Refin. He really wanted us to know that he directed this movie. And this tells me, before I even watch the movie and the movie just confirmed it, that this is someone who thinks he is a good filmmaker, TM, who might take themselves a little bit too seriously, which might work for some of his other films. I haven't seen them, but it does not work for this particular genre. And I'll tell you why. This movie is supposed to be a satire. It is supposed to be a dark horror comedy about living in LA, about the fashion industry, about the way that it preys on young girls the way that LA preys on young girls, the way that women, especially in LA, are sort of taught to prey on each other. And it is not funny enough to be a satire, if that makes any sense. Like, that's what it was supposed to be, but it has no camp to it. It has no give to it at all. There's no self awareness. It is all just like, here is a serious film about serious things with all of these beautiful images in bisexual lighting. It wasn't queer enough either. It really needed to be more queer. <laughs> like 100%. Well, she's saying this despite yeah. a very specific scene in the film that a white male dude would definitely call queer, but is definitely not. Yeah, I say this as the fact that one of the characters is supposed to be queer, but is clearly not queer at all like this is this is very much a white straight male's idea of what women are like and it is not good so if you actually hold on this felt here here we go here's some more this felt like faux lynch without the substance like it's trying to be (laughs) weird and it's trying to be like evocative in its imagery but it doesn't actually give you anything to back any of that up I, I like how you said faux lynch without any substance instead of lynch without any substance. It's not even like trying to be David Lynch. It's trying to be like diet David Lynch. And it's not even good at that. No, no, no. It's trying to be tab David Lynch. No. No. You can't make that joke. <laughs> I can make the joke because that's the entire point of Vaporwave. Yeah, there's no real plot to this, which wouldn't really bother me if it was at least interesting in the way that it wanted to talk about these images, which are somewhat horrifying. There is a lot of body horror, especially in the last third of this film, which I won't get into, but it just doesn't do anything. It doesn't say anything. It just seems like, oh, like, this is a metaphor. For what exactly? Like, there needed to be more leaning into the horror and the campiness of the horror to this like i i kept waiting for like one of the girls to turn out to be like a vampire or like a undead monster or like or like for uh, who's even the neon demon is it la like it, it is very confusing exactly what they're trying to satir- satirize and it lacks any kind of self-awareness to actually make a good satire it just comes across as way too self-serious very boring Keanu is in it and he is playing against type and he does okay in the three scenes that he's in. But honestly, like, I don't want to see Keanu be like super creepy and rapey. Like, no, that doesn't, no. Anyway, I think there are films that satirize this particular topic much better. The Assistant seems like a much better film about this, even though it's not horror. Ingrid Goes West seems like a much better film about this, um, which that's like more psychological thriller. That episode of X-Files where the evil high school girls are evil seems like a better film about this. I haven't seen Heathers, but that seems like a better film about Mm -hmm. this. Like that's what this needed was that kind of energy and it had zero of that energy. Like L.A. culture, it takes itself so damn seriously. So in the last episode, we joked about, you know, people who make pop culture where New York is a character. 
This is somebody trying to make L.A. a character. I think L.A. is the neon demon, yes. I think that the point is, is that the monster, the real monsters, are the industry, man. No, the real monsters are queer vampires, dude. Figure it out. Come on. You suck. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just don't think that this got to its point really well. And there are some moments in this that just made me cringe so much because they were trying <sighs> to say something about women like that isn't true or even remotely accurate. If you want a movie about how women actually buy into a patriarchal system and jockey for position, hire a black woman to write a horror movie about white women. There, I said it. Like, Isn't that that's, called The Help? I mean, <laughs> The Help has its problems. So I, I'm just saying, like, I, I just, this seemed like a man just, like, trying to say something and just get it completely wrong. So, all right. I, w- I was going to try to be um, contrarian Andy here and try to defend this, but Tessa, you've made such a great point that I don't think I could stomach watching, uh, watching this movie. I, I don't think I want to do that to myself it's so, so bad do you. not watch it please people who are people who are listening i watched this for you <laughs> i watched we it so you did. wouldn't have to so congratulations tessa you've taken this monkey off my list there you go take it off <laughs> Elle fanning isn't even doing her best work in this and i love Elle fanning so she's gorgeous of course but that's about it There is a total of one great sequence in this film. Like, one thing that happened that made me laugh, it is not worth watching this film for. But Keanu is at the center of it. I don't think it was even supposed to be funny. It just made me laugh. So, (laughs) I will will defend the only movie that I've seen by uh, Refn, which is Bronson. Watch Bronson. I, I think there's something to be learned here. And and I think the lesson we've learned is if if your vision is I want to do vaporwave, you have already lost. That's not I think that's I I really think that's true. I think that like this because that's what the neon demon is, is an attempt to do vaporwave and it sucks. Interesting. Well, I don't think that's necessarily true because the thing that I thought of when Vaporwave was originally described to me, but it wasn't a monkey for me because I had already seen it, was Atomic Blonde, which is an amazing movie. So, interestingly, um, one of the only, only news or movie sites I will ever trust with things uh, that uh, considers uh, this, that considers a lot of things Vaporwave which is uh, Mubi, Mubi.com, uh, puts a lot of uh, Wong Kar Wai films in, on the list as well. Yeah, I Being can see that. Vaporwave. I think Atomic Blonde has some Vaporwave elements. In my head, this is weird because there's no reason to think that. In my head, I hear Depeche Mode when I think of Atomic Blonde, which is weird because Father Figure by George Michael is clearly the biggest music cue, and I don't know if there's any Depeche Mode in that movie at all. But it's very it's it's more dark, kind of early pre-industrial, post-goth, with some flex, with some some ephemeral, yeah. But but the point is, they all start to bleed together, and I think more than anything else, Atomic Bond, Atomic Bond, hey, <laughs> whoa, is actually, that would be great. I think it's the bleeding through of of several different things. I think that's a really good example. In that way, even though I don't think it's overtly vaporwave, it's got it though. Yeah. Andy picked this topic. I did, and I'd pick <laughs> it again. You know, you know, and as much as I hated watching the Neon Demon, and I hated to love Johnny Mnemonic, I I am really happy that you picked this. Like, I feel like I learned a lot through this experience. Exactly, and that's what it's all about: learning, learning, and the friends we made along the way. Just like all those things that Gen X gave us. About the friends we made along the way. And the friends we didn't make along the way. Which, by the way, the friend we didn't make along the way is Nicholas Revin. Blinding. Yeah, this this was a trip. But it was a Cynthia trip. And uh, I think we're done. Right? Yeah. 
what he does might work for other genres, doesn't work for horror. Okay. And with that, let's go ahead and uh, plug our pluggables. Sam, where can people find you? Dr. Sam, Dr. Sam Morris. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris nine. Tessa. Tessa, Tessa, Tessa. Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Swayla Tessa. Swayla is spelled S-W-E-H-L-A. And people, you can find me, Andy, on Twitter at Andy Noted. You can find us on Twitter at Monkey Backlog. You can email us at monkeyoffmybacklog at gmail.com. You can please, please tweet at us, yell at us, whatever. Did you like The Neon Demon? Is there a point in watching The Neon Demon? Let's go ahead and open with that. Comments below. And by comments below, I mean tweet at us and tweet at Tessa. Tell her that she's right about The Neon Demon, that it's a waste of time. Or tweet at me that I'm wrong, that The Neon Demon isn't a waste of time, and I need to add it back to my list. Send us your thoughts. Rate and review us on iTunes. And never stop never stopping. Seriously, watch that movie. It's great.